Damon, thank you so much for joining us. Why don't you spend a little time and tell us a little bit about who you are for our listeners who might not know you yet. Cool, Ashley and Megan. Hey, thanks a lot, first of all, for having me on your show. It's been your time with me. Your time is the most valuable thing you have. And I know a thing or two about time because I had to go to a place where I did some time to try to figure out life and understand the value of time. Uh, you know, but before I get into the prison stuff, you know, I grew up in a, in a great home. I had everything going in life. I didn't come from a broken home type deal. So star athlete in high school, got a scholarship to play quarterback at the University of North Texas. So I played division one college football. Uh, I got hurt in 96 against A&M, never played football again. So my redshirt sophomore year, I get hurt. And I kind of go off the rails. Not kind of go, I do go off the rails a little bit. I didn't know cocaine, ecstasy, stuff like that. But I graduated college. You know, I was a functional addict. Graduated college in 1999. I move off to Washington, D.C. I get a job working in Congress. Uh, after working in Congress for a little while, I worked for a guy running for President of the United States. And in 2004, when he dropped out of the presidential race, I moved back to Dallas to train to be a stockbroker for one of the biggest Wall Street banks in the world, yeah, UBS, United Bank of Switzerland. And it was at that job as a broker that I was introduced to meth for the first time. And, and so, Ashley and Megan, meth will be the, the, the thing that rings constant throughout a big part of my story because once I was introduced to that world of meth, that drug that grabbed a hold of me like no other one did, uh, it was a life changer for so many people, not just for me, but for my victims, for my family. And I tell people all the time that addiction, addiction affects everybody in this country. It, it touches everybody in this country, whether you're the addict going through it or the family members, they get drugged through it because I took my family on a, a ride through hell because of this, or the victims that the addicts create when they commit crimes to fund their, the fuel of their addiction, or you're just a taxpayer paying into an overburdened criminal justice system that doesn't have a clue how to handle the disease of addiction. Addiction affects everybody else in this country. And, and my addiction to meth, you know, I met a lot of victims, victims of property crimes, uh, victims of these burglaries, my parents and my, my brothers and my family, they were victims too. Um, but, you know, the taxpayers had to, to burden the cost of this thing. So it's why it's one of the reasons why I go around sharing this story, because I want to be able to impact many people in a positive way. But I want it to be one, especially the younger people, when I speak to schools, high schools, junior highs, colleges, a warning about the dangers of drugs and the consequences of bad decisions, but, but also a message of hope and perseverance and story about that coffee bean because I tell everybody all the time that no matter what the situation is, no matter what the adversity is, that that there's always going to be opportunities in adversity. And that's the thing that we have to remember, especially I mean like 2020 actually was 2020 was a tough one for everybody. No one alive has ever been through a pandemic before. So no one has a playbook on how to get through this. But we have to adapt and make changes to the world when the world changes around us too. And and it's understanding that we only control certain things. And, and I'll get into that when we start talking about the coffee bean, but it was, you know, after I got sentenced, when I, whenever I got on the crime spree from 2005 to 2008, a Dallas SWAT team eventually got me on July 30, 2008. Dramatic takedown. I mean, flashbang grenades, machine guns, everything. I mean, they didn't shoot the guns, but the guns were in my face. Uh, but July 30, 2008, I get arrested. And I tell people all the time, it wasn't just the day I was arrested. It was the day I was rescued. You know, God got me out of a situation I couldn't get myself out of. And, and um, I spent the next 10 months while I waited to go to trial with one thought going through my head. And that's that thought of the attic. Is I thought of getting high, getting out and getting high or getting drugs into the jail, which I tried both. And at the end of 10 months, on May 18, 2009, 
I finally got my day in court. And actually, Dallas gave me six days in court. Six days is a long criminal trial, y'all, for crimes where no one was ever physically hurt during the commission. I've never solved my victims. I mean, no one was ever home. But at the, the end of six days, y'all, a jury of my peers listened to so much overwhelming evidence of my guilt that they went to deliberate for 10 minutes on my sentence. I mean, 10 minutes, y'all. I, I don't know how much law and order you watch, but if a jury has gone for 10 minutes, they smoked you. And when I came back in that courtroom, I was so scared because, I mean, 10 minutes, I know what that means, too. That judge who hadn't smiled the entire trial, he's grinning from ear to ear, and he says, Damon Joseph West, you are hereby sentenced to 65 years in the Texas Department of Criminal Justice. 65 years is a life sentence, y'all. A jury gave me life that day, my first felony conviction ever, but it was the best thing that ever happened to me. And I know that sounds odd and crazy to say that being sentenced to life in prison was the best thing that ever happened, but here's why. Because that sentence they gave me was an indeterminate amount of time. It means that the, the state of Texas could keep me for the rest of my life if they wanted to, or I could work on myself and improve and take my chances that they'll give me another chance in life one day if I show that I'm worthy of it, if I earn that second chance. And um, if they would have given me like a 20-year sentence or a 10-year sentence, I know that all I would have to do is go to prison for a couple of years and stand on my head and fake it till you make it kind of thing. But with giving me a life sentence, it gave me, it boxed me in finally. Damon West, this guy in my mind that could do anything and manipulate anybody and talk my way out of all kinds of trouble. Well, now I couldn't talk my way out of it. Now I'm being sentenced to life in prison and I'm going to the worst part of the criminal justice system, the life sentence building in Texas. It's the hardest place to do time. And everybody in the building you live on has life. It's all lifers around you. These are it's the hardest, most hardened criminals there are. And, and I've also been given this directive from my mother right after the trial. They gave her one last visit with my parents, one last visit with me. And my mom made me promise that I would not get in any white hate groups, the Aryan Brotherhood type gangs, because I was scared because I was a minority there. I mean, my, and she reminded me, my father, who was a sports writer growing up for 50 years, I mean, the first sports writer in this part of Texas to put black athletes on, on the front page of the sports page. You know, my parents were civil rights icons, and she's making me promise that I will not forget how I was raised, and I will come back as the man they raised or not come back at all. And so that's, uh, that's how I go into prison. You know, that's how I'm getting ready to go into prison, Dallas County Jail. And thankfully, you know, I ran into another inmate in Dallas County Jail that gave me the best lesson of my life. And I, I imagine we're going to talk about that lesson today, aren't we? Yeah, I would imagine so. And Damon, thank you so much for sharing this with us and being so open-minded um, because, you know, this is probably difficult to talk about. And I know you you talk about this so much now, so it's a little easier for you, but addiction is real. Um, and I know for you, you mentioned meth was a life changer, took you down a dark path, um, you know, for yourself as an addict and then your family being close victims and other close loved ones to you. So I guess I'd like to talk a little bit more about that path of addiction. And, um, you know, it is a mental illness, just making conscious, poor decisions, just, um, you know, hoping to feel better, but knowing that you're harming yourself and just kind of how that escalated to the point that you ended up hindering some other opportunities in your life at that time. But I guess if you could talk us how you overcame that and maybe give our listeners a few steps is that they could take um, to overcoming addiction or just making poor choices. 
Well, Megan, that's a great question. I'm glad you asked this because I mean, here's, you know, you, you touched on something that it, like, a, you know, it, there's more people than we realize that are addicts. And the thing about being an addict, addicts for the most part are not bad people. They're sick people that do bad things. And you talked about it, excuse me, you talked about it a while ago, and I'm glad you touched on the fact that it's a mental illness. It's a, it's a disease. There's two things in this country is to change your attitudes towards, and that's mental illness, mental illness, and substance abuse. And we've failed that test as a country. We've we've locked up for we've locked up generations of people uh, of that were sick. We've locked up a lot of sick people, um, and we've shunned a lot of sick people too. We've shunned people away with mental illness. We. We've, you know, only recently we've come around to say, hey, look, if you're, you know, if you're having these thoughts, if you're going through something, hey, talk to somebody. But that's a very recent thing in this country. So substance abuse, at the mind of an addict, let me tell you about the mind of an addict. The mind of an addict works like this. We have a three-part thought process. Addicts have a thought that becomes an obsession, and then it becomes physical. And what I mean by that is like an addict has a thought of, let's say I have a thought to drink. Now that thought is gonna roll around in my head. You know, I'm gonna obsess over that and play with it. It may take a month, it may take two months, it may take a year, but I'll continue to think about drinking until I make it physical. And the reason why I'm able to live today a normal life is because I have a program of recovery. And the program of recovery, uh, you know, I'm in, I'm in a 12-step program of recovery. Got into it when I was in prison, I'm still into this day and, and I'll never graduate because the thing about addiction is we can get better, but we'll never get well. And addicts, here's the thing about addicts, why, you know, people that commit crimes and do bad things when they're in their addiction, addicts give up their goals to meet their behaviors. Normal people give up behaviors to meet their goals, but addicts can't do that. Addicts don't have that off switch uh, unless you have a program recovery. It's one of the things I tell people all the time. You know, I talk to people inside of prisons now. I talk to uh, people that are on parole. I talk to recovery groups. A program recovery is paramount. It's key to, to dealing with living with a living, trying to live a normal life with your addiction. Um, and a program recovery, one of the, the tools that you have in your inventory when you have a program recovery is you have, you know, other addicts around you that you can talk to, other people in recovery. Because here's the thing, Megan, look, I mean, we all three live in the South. You live in North Carolina. Ashley lives in Tennessee. I live in Texas. So we're in the South. And, you know, uh, everybody likes to cling to their Bibles down in the South. And I get that. And I'm Christian, so I'll throw that out there. But, you know, sometimes you need more than prayer and Jesus to get through something in life because Jesus has given us tools already on this earth to work with. And, and when someone's an addict and they say, well, I'm going to be okay, I've got Jesus, that scares me. Because here's the thing. If you go up to your priest, your pastor, or your reverend, your minister, whatever, and you say, hey, look, I've got these, these thoughts in my head, I, you know, I've got these obsessions, what are they going to tell you to do? They're going to tell you to go pray. And prayer is great. Prayer is wonderful. My, I run into people all the time that tell me, man, your mom had me praying for you while you were in prison. It's happened over 100 times since I've been out. But sometimes you need more than just prayer. Sometimes you need other people around you that have gone through the same thing you've gone through. And, and most priests and pastors and ministers and reverends, thankfully, haven't been down the road of addiction, you know, because not everybody has. But in a program recovery, I'm around other people in my 12-step program that have been through this before, and, and we talk. Our, our meetings are not, not mysterious. It's not like, you know, it's not like we're the Freemasons or something. It's not like this, this big mysterious meeting that we have where uh, in, in, in our meeting, we sit there and talk about our lives when we were in our addiction and how bad it was. And you sit there and listen to other stories about people, what people have been through, and 
it reminds you of how bad your life was. And, and that day, for that day, you don't have to go out and get high again or get drunk again. And addiction is a one day at a time type deal. And I don't know if you wanted to get off on this whole addiction thing, but I love talking about it because I believe there's value there and people need to hear this kind of stuff. They need to see an example of someone. When I was in my addiction, there was no stopping me. And, and, and I didn't stop until like my, the first chapter of my book is called Rock Bottom. Rock Bottom was May 18th, 2009. And I'm being sentenced to life in prison. I had to figure it out when I was in prison by getting into a program recovery. Because I'm going to tell you this, Megan, 2011, I was in prison. You know, I've been locked up three years at this point. I've got a cellmate that's a big cocaine dealer. And he gets high every night in our cell. And I start thinking about doing his cocaine. And, I, and I'm laying there reading my Bible while I'm thinking, I'm like, man, what is wrong with you, Damon? You're in prison. You've got a life sentence because of drugs. And now you're thinking about doing coke. And so that's when I put in for the first request to go to an AA meeting. In there. And when I started going to recovery meetings, I got the answers because I got into a program recovery. I got a sponsor and I worked the steps. And that's when the change started happening in my life. Because when we're in our addiction, we're very selfish. When we're out in a program recovery, we're, we're, we're outside of self. We're trying to be helpful to other people. We know what the secret to life is and the secret to life is servant leadership. And, People that are in recovery always look for ways to serve other people. That's part of a program recovery is service work. So it's been a big deal in my life, Megan, being out and being in a program recovery and being of use for other people. You know, whenever I was getting ready to make parole, which I didn't know I was making parole that day, the lady from parole, she said, look, you know, Mr. West, we don't see a lot of people come through like you, uh, your background, everything. She's like, you know, no one has this background in state prison. You're like just a, you know, a story, you stick out like a sore thumb. She said, you changed yourself inside this prison. She said, matter of fact, you changed the entire prison around you. She said, so I have one question for you today. If you could be remembered for being anything in this life, she said, give it to me in just one word, go. And, you know, because I was a coffee bean, because I was in a program recovery, man, I had her answer for her, Megan. And I fired it back at her real quick. And I said, useful, man. I just, I want to be useful. And I can be useful in prison or I can be useful out in the world finding the coffee beans, you know? And they let me go because that's what we we're able to be in the program recovery is useful. Oh, that's so powerful. I'm, I think that there's probably a lot of people listening right now that can really relate to that. I think that, you know, we all have such duality within us. Like we, we can be the hero of our story while we're also someone else's antagonist, right? Like we can be the bad guy at the same time that we are the biggest, most awesome version of ourselves. It's so true. I'm curious, just, you know, this coffee bean idea, like, can you walk us through how you got to that? Like, it seems like you were in such a dark place and then this huge light is shining from you now. So like, how did you, like, what was that realization and how did you really make it part of your DNA? That is a great question, Ashley. And then the thing about coffee bean is, you know, I want to preface the story with my experience in life. And I always use I statements. I have never experienced a life where God ever just reached his hand down and put, it, put his hand on my head and said, hey, Damon, you're healed. No, it's never happened like that. It's not, I mean, there's no fireworks. There's no rainbows and unicorns. What's happened in my life, and what I think happens in everybody's life, by the way, this is my opinion is that God puts people in our lives, you know, and when you're younger, these people are your teachers, their coaches, their parents, there's, there's, uh, there's other people in your life that you're going to meet in the, in the road of life. They get you from one station of life to the next. When I was in Dallas County jail, 
I'm asking all these guys that have been in prison before, how am I going to survive? What am I going to do? And every guy I talk to, man, black, white, Asian, Hispanic, they're telling me the same thing. You got to get into a gang. You can't survive without a gang. The, the gang's going to protect you. The gang is your family. All these lies they tell you. But there was this one guy, this older black guy named Mr. Jackson. And Mr. Jackson's probably in his 60s. I didn't get his real age. He and I have nothing in common. He's a black man in America, older black man in America, been in and out of prison all his life, you know, four or five times. You know, so if I'm in the mindset that says, hey, this guy doesn't look like me or have any shared experiences with me, I'm not going to listen to him. I would have missed the most important lesson in my life. And that's the thing. We have to be open to these messengers, these people that God puts in our life. And God happened to put this 60-something ex-convict that's in Dallas County Jail on a parole violation in my path because he's the most positive person I've ever met. So one morning, Mr. Jackson comes up to me in Dallas County Jail. He says, hey, man, I've been watching how you're dealing with these knuckleheads and these dummies. He's talking about, you got to get into a gang. He said, man, don't listen to these fools. He said, you keep that promise you made to your mother and to God and to yourself. He said, but let me tell you what prison is going to be like. He said, I want you to imagine prison as a pot of boiling water. And he said, anything we put in this pot of boiling water is going to be changed by the heat and the pressure inside that pot. He said, I'm going to put three things in this pot of boiling water and watch how they change. A carrot, an egg and a coffee bean. And so he walks me through it, Ashley. He says, if I, if I put a carrot in this pot of boiling water we call prison, he said, what happens to the carrot? And I'm like, well, it turns soft. And he said, that's right. He said, the carrot goes into the, the water hard, but the water of the prison changes the carrot, change, makes it soft and mushy. And he said, the carrot goes in through prison, gets, gets beat, he gets robbed, he may get raped, and he may get killed. He said, you don't want to be the carrot in prison. He said, tell me what happens to the egg, West, in that pot of boiling water. You know, Ashley, a little bit more confidently, I'm like, okay, I, you know, I have boiled eggs as a kid when it, for Easter. An egg turns hard, Mr. Jackson, like a hard-boiled egg. And he said, that's right. He said, the egg is a shell that protects it physically, but inside that shell, that soft liquid core, his heart becomes hardened. He said, now, if your heart becomes hardened, you're incapable of giving or receiving love. And he said, if you're incapable of giving or receiving love, you would become institutionalized. And you will not come back as someone your parents recognize because your eggshell will have swastikas tattooed all over. And that's when he asked me, he said, what about the coffee bean? And actually I had no clue. I didn't know what happened to a coffee bean and warm water. I knew what happens to coffee, but not a coffee bean. And that's what Mr. Jackson told me. He said, if I put a coffee bean into that same pot of boiling water we call prison, he said, now you have to change the name of the water to coffee. Because he said the coffee bean was the smallest of these three things, sits small like you has the power to change the entire atmosphere inside that pot because the power is inside you just like the power is inside the coffee bean. You know, the coffee bean was the only thing of the three things that changed the water. Everything else was changed by the water. Excuse me. And he said, everybody in life, you know, he said, we all put out our, our energy, negative or positive. He said, whatever kind of energy we put out, we attract back. It's called the law of attraction. We're always using this law of attraction. And he said, you know, if you walk around prison all the time with a mean mug on your face and a scowl, you want to look hard, you know, he said, all you're going to do is attract the hardest, most negative, you know, convicts into your world. He said, well, you're going to the life sentence building. They could be a very dangerous, even deadly endeavor. He said, but conversely, he said, if you walk around that prison with a smile on your face and you let those guys know they're not getting to you, no matter what they do, they can't break you. He said, you will change prison from the inside out. And he said, the best part about it is the other coffee beans in prison, the other positive inmates, they'll find you because of your energy. 
And the last thing Mr. Jackson told me before I got in that prison bus in August of 2009, I mean, I'm getting shackled up to another human being to ride on a bus that's like a cage on wheels. And Mr. Jackson looks at me and he says, West, go out there and go be a coffee bean. Just like my shirt says, be a coffee bean, you know? So if this old man is shooting me straight, if this, this old guy is telling me the truth, that means that the power's inside me. And if the power's inside me, then it's not in the hands of the criminal justice system. It's not in the hands of the guards or the other inmates. If the power's inside me. And Ashley, if the power's inside me, that means that no matter what environment I'm dropped into, no matter what pot of boiling water, that I can be like that coffee bean and I won't just survive that experience. I can thrive in that experience. And that's what I go around telling people all the time. And 2020 was the most relevant time for this coffee bean message, the most on point message that I think that, that, that people have gravitated towards because we are in a giant pot of boiling water. And, and you know, a lot of times life is a boiling, pot of boiling water anyway, but you have good days mixed in with, but 2020 is just one thing after another, you know, and it's like, where are the opportunities? What is this trying to tell you? You know, because we have to, in order for us to grow, we have to get outside of our comfort zone. Growth takes place outside your comfort zone. It's a very uncomfortable experience when we grow. And, and being that coffee bean means that you're going to change the pot of boiling water around. You know, when, when the pandemic hit and, and everything shut down, you know, I'm a speaker and an author. You know, there was no more work for me. There's nowhere to go. And so I'm like left with this, this negative taste in my mouth. I'm, I'm becoming the egg, you know, and I don't want to be the egg. So I got in touch with one of my friends that has a huge Zoom platform and she's a consultant. She's out of work too. And I'm like, look, we got to figure something out. I said, let's give away my message. Let's give away the coffee bean message and the thing that I, my product, let's give this away for free to anybody that wants it until the pandemic is over. And I mean, Ashley, we probably did over a hundred Zoom calls in four months for free. We just gave it away. Because I believe in the message. I believe people needed that. And I believe, you know, for, you know, first of all, how can I help out humanity? How can I put back in dream of life? But it helped kept, keep me sane. It helped keep me sober by being useful every day. I got a chance to really practice the coffee bean in 2020. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. So, I mean, I guess with this coffee bean analogy, you have learned so much and you know, you can really just make the most out of the situation you're in. You can decide how that boiling water is going to shape you. So taking that analogy into sports and a lot of the athletes and the teams that you talk to, how would you translate that into success for them on the field? You know, maybe if they're not reaching their potential, whether it's because of poor decisions or maybe they are just not fully maximizing that time that they have with their team. Fantastic question. Totally applicable to sports, right? Because every group, team, organization can use a coffee bean message. But how do you use it? It's like Mr. Jackson gives me the coffee bean message. But listen, Megan, when I got to prison, it was a baptism by fire. I mean, it was the hardest thing I've ever been through. My book, The Change Agent, really goes through those first two months of prison. And I got pissed at Jackson at one point. Pissed off because this dude didn't give me a roadmap. He didn't give me an instruction book. He didn't, he didn't tell All you gave me was his fable about this carrot, this egg, and this coffee bean, but you didn't tell me how to do this. You didn't. And first of all, I kind of felt like Jackson, man, you didn't tell me it was going to be this hard, but he really did. You know, he told me it was going to be hard, but he never told me how to become the coffee bean. He left that up to me. But what I do is I go around and tell sports teams, groups, businesses, organizations, I give them the ways that I became a coffee bean, the five ways that I did it, you know, and it, because 
you know, if someone gives you a way that they did something, it, it gives you a, a, a blueprint to maybe do it on your own. And you can expand. I tell people all the time, you'll figure out other ways of being a coffee bean, but here's the five that I use. The first rule about being a coffee bean was positive body language. You know, positive body you know, your smile, first of all, your smile, even if you're alone, your smile is going to release endorphins, man. That makes you, that's a chemical you've got to make you feel better. But now that you've got something, you know, some positivity, you've got something to give. You can't give what you don't have. And when we're on teams and we're in huddles and we're on the court, you know, we're out there, you know, we've got to be able to positively charge people around us. If you come back to the huddle or you come back, you know, to the, you come back on the court after a bad play in volleyball or something, you're just dragging your, your head down. You know, you're, you're affecting everybody around you. Jackson told me you're either going to infect the people around you with your negative energy or you're going to affect them with your positive energy. Infect versus effect, right? So your positive body language changes the, the atmosphere in these locker rooms, in these huddles, on the court, you know. That's, what the, that's the first rule about being a coffee bean is having positive body language. No matter what happens, especially when things aren't going well, man, smile. Turn, turn it around. The second rule about being a coffee bean I tell them all the time is you've got to work out in three areas every day, spiritually, mentally, and physically. You've got to get in shape, not just your, your physical body, but, you know, your mind and your soul. Because if you don't have a player's, you know, mental health and mental well-being, you know, you're not going to have their full body, full ability anyway. You're not going to have a 100% player if they're just physically there. The third rule about being a coffee bean is knowing what the secret to life is. And the secret to life is servant leadership. And servant leadership Servant leadership is helping other people achieve their goals in life, helping to raise other people up to a different station of life. Because when we're helping other people, that's when we're at our best. And that's what we're really called to do. Because somebody's going to help us out along the way. We've got to find ways to help other people out. And that's what servant leadership is all about. The most fundamental necessity to being a servant leader is humility. And humility is that thing that makes us know that we're right-sized in our life, that our ego hasn't make it, made us bigger than we are in our minds, so that we don't have a lack of proportion when it comes to ego. The fourth rule about being a coffee bean is knowing what you do and do not control in life. But really, there's just four things you control, and they're all between your ears. They're all in your head. You control what you think, what you say, what you feel, and what you do. And if you relinquish control of one of those four things, you run the risk of being a prisoner in your mind. And the prison in your mind is the hardest prison to get out of. You know, that's the prison that locks you up and throws away the key. And I can tell you from experience, from a guy, you know, I did seven years and three months in a max security prison. I did almost a decade. Or today that I'm a criminal justice professor at the University of Houston. I went back and got my master's in criminal justice. Megan, I teach a class called Prisons in America. That's what I teach at university. Prisons in America. I mean, what world does that happen in? But I can tell you with authority that the hardest prison in America, the toughest place to do time in this country, is the prison of your mind. The prison of your mind. I meet more people out here that are locked up than I ever did when I was in prison because more people are in prison by their thoughts and by their things than by steel bars and barbed wire and concrete. And so the fifth rule about being a coffee bean is that your past doesn't define you. You know, your past wins don't matter. Your past losses don't matter. Your past is your lesson. You learn from it and you teach others with it. The present today is a gift, not a gift for you, but what a gift, you know, a gift for what you can do for other people. And the future is your motivation. But always motivate yourself with the right stuff, unless you become a prisoner of your mind. So I give people these five ways that I became a coffee bean because now it's something they can build on. And I mean, you know, and I see teams, teams will tweet me back saying, you know, what you think, what you say, what you feel, what you do. Um, 
because that, you know, they're all really good lessons, but that was a big one to understand is that there's a lot of things that are outside your control that you don't have a say in. You know, the White House, the CDC, the World Health Organization, none of these people called me and said, Damon, how do we fix the coronavirus? Because I don't know how to fix it. I mean, but no one's calling me, right? But so instead of that, what am I going to do during the coronavirus? Well, I got to figure out a way to, to be positive and, and, and pitch in with what I think safe, feel, and do. So that's the area I stayed in. I try to stay on my life. Such wisdom in all of that. I have a page full of notes just because even though like, I've read your book, but it's still like, oh, this is, that's true. That's true. Um, yeah. Wow. Okay. So I know you have to get going soon. Um, I, I guess, where can we follow along with you and your story and how can our listeners connect with you? So Twitter and Instagram, um, at Damon West seven on Twitter and Instagram. I have a website, damonwest.org, um, damonwest.org. The books, The Change Agent, The Coffee Bean, available on Amazon, and also coming out December 3rd, which is available for pre-order now, The Coffee Bean for Kids. So John and I, John Gordon and I got together for another book, and it's a kid's book, and it's, I mean, it's so good, Ashley and Megan, it's, it's I mean, and it, the kids, I mean, it looks like America in there. The main character is a little Hispanic boy. Um, the friends in the, the book, there's a little black girl named Maya, a little Asian boy named Peter, a little girl from India named Priya, there's a kid with autism that's one of their friends. There's another little kid in a wheelchair that's you know part of their group. It just looks like America. And these kids get the coffee bean message from one of their teachers. And they decide that all the kids in the school, they need the coffee bean message too. So they start a coffee bean club at their school. And one of the first things they do at the coffee bean club is they make their rules. You know, the rules for being the coffee bean club. One of the rules is smile. Another, another one of the rules is be kind, you know. And it's always about trying to, to do what's best for other people. And they even make up their own little coffee bean song. So it's really cool. That's, but that's coming out soon. Thank you for that. Um, one last question. Are you a coffee drinker? Uh, I am a coffee drinker. Girl, I make a cup of coffee nervous. <laughs> I drink, I, if you can't tell by my energy level, man, I am always. Am I, tell you, this is funny. So I worked at a law firm. You know, I've been out of prison five years now. Last week was the five-year anniversary walking Yay. out. And I worked at this law wow. firm the entire time. Yeah, they gave me a job right out of prison. Walked right into a law firm. Unheard of, right? And so, but my boss, the law firm, the lawyer I worked for, one day at work, he was like, because I mean, I'm, I operate at this high level. If I'm awake, it's like fifth year. You know, I don't have, <laughs> I don't know what I do. But now it's, I'm working, now my power's used for good. So, but my boss is like, he comes up to me one day. He goes, man, I can't imagine you on meth. He said, I just can't. He said, I can't. He said, I, I mean, honestly, man, he said that the level you operate without drugs, I can't imagine you on meth. I said, man, I drink a lot of coffee. So, oh, man. Yes. Got to walk the walk. That's it. Oh, that's so funny. Well, we so appreciate your time today, Damon. This was really wonderful. We just are so grateful.